Let's pray together. Father, uh, what an amazing thing. Lord, we, we've been in this series for a couple weeks called God Is. And we two weeks ago, we discovered that our God is holy. And because you're holy, you deserve our awe and our reverence. And Father, last week, we talked about the majesty of God. And majesty means, it just means declaring uh, God's greatness. And, and we saw last week, God, that you're this great and awesome being. You have all wisdom and knowledge. And you're ever-present. You have all power. And you're from, from everlasting to everlasting. And God, you're just majesty. But then God, and that, that amazes me. And then God, to think that this being that spoke a universe into existence, this one who is holy beyond all that we can imagine, loves me. You, you, God, love me. And you love us. What an awesome thought. And so God, we just, we've sang songs about you. Lord, we're going to open your word and hear from you. God, we just invite you to come and speak to us. God, I know in the auditorium, we, Lord, there's, we have guests that are with us today. I'm so excited that they're here. God, I hope they have a great experience. God, I hope that they, along with us, that we hear from you, God, that you would speak to us. And we would go away knowing how much you love us. And God, I know in the audience there, there are some who have not yet decided for Christ. God, my prayer is that they would experience your love today. And they would see that God, the most amazing thing in the world, is that God loves them completely and unconditionally. So God, come and speak into our life and meet with us is my prayer. And I ask all these things in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Take your Bibles and turn uh, to the book of uh, the Gospel of Luke. It's the uh, third gospel in the New Testament. We're going to look at uh, chapter 15 uh, there in a little bit. But kind of, I want to kind of talk to you for a little bit because we talked about God is holy and that God is, uh, he is majesty. I mean, he is great and awesome. And today we're going to, to talk a little bit about God's love. But I kind of want to ask you... Um, since we're talking about God's love, is, is, is everybody equal in God's eyes? Does God, does God love every group the same? I mean, is everybody, uh, does He look at everyone through the exact same lens? And does God, um, does He like some groups more than others? Does He like some, some people who do things, who do certain things? Does He love them more than people who don't do certain things? And so that's just a, a real question. I mean, I mean, do you think God, do you think he loves Republicans more than Democrats? Or do you think he loves Democrats more than Republicans? I mean, does he, does he love, does he love uh, capitalists more? Or does he love communists more? I mean, what is it? 
Does he, uh, I mean, does God, I mean, does he kind of play favorites or, I mean, does he have a preference maybe between Baptists or Methodists or, or, or Catholics or Presbyterians or, or, uh, a, a, you know, Assembly of God or, or non-denominational? I mean, does, does, does God have a preference? Does he say, you know, I, Jesus, man, I really, really, I mean, I love this group a lot and I, I like this group and I like this group. Maybe this one, maybe not, not so much. Does God have favorites or does he? Or does he love everybody the same? Does performance matter? I mean, y'all remember Mother Teresa. Does God feel the same about Mother Teresa as God felt about Osama bin Laden? Because see, they were both created in the image of God. He breathed life into both of them. And so does he love one more and he loves the other. And that's what we got to get our hands around. And that's what we got to kind of wrestle with. Because, I mean, think about this. I mean, surely God loves conservatives more than he likes liberals, right? I mean, I'm not so much politically, but at least biblically, right? God loves people that love him maybe more than he loves people that don't love him. Surely, doesn't he? I mean, wouldn't God love a, maybe Americans more than Russians or, or at least Christians more than Muslims? I mean, uh, I mean, does God do that? I mean, is that how God, I mean, is that how it works? Or does God, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, does God love the religious person just as much or maybe more than God loves this rebellious person that shakes his fist in God's face and says, I'm not interested. And so, so here's the thing. How does, how does that all work? Because we say, yeah, God loves everybody, but then we think, God likes my group. That's why, that's why we're in our group, right? Because we think God loves our group. If, if, I mean, if we thought God loved this group the most and God didn't love our group, we would change groups, right? No? See, I, see, we, we're like, we, we kind of have this. I think we're all operate this way. Let me, let me just, let me kind of help you understand this. Cause we just kind of think that, well, we're normal and God likes us. Uh, my daughter, my youngest daughter, Carlyanne, had a, uh, a birthday party in Austin yesterday. It was kind of interesting. But we decided to go by the mall afterwards and exchange some stuff that Lisa bought. Uh, have you ever been to the mall in Austin on Saturday night? You should go. I, here's what, I mean, I just, here's what I discovered. I am no longer normal. You know, cause I used to, you know, back in the day, whenever the day was, you know, I, when I went to the mall, I would look around and go, wow, can you believe that? And now when I go to the mall, people look at, at me and us and go, wow, can you believe that? <laughs> They're just so nineties or whatever I am. I don't know what it is. So, but we kind of think, okay, we're normal. Our group's a normal group. And we tend to think, well, because our group's a normal group, man, this is, that's the group God likes, right? We want to believe that. I mean, who wants to be in a group that, that we think, well, God doesn't like that group. Okay, I'm signing up. No. But we kind of have this idea that God has two groups. You know, he likes, or, or three groups or four groups, and he likes one group a lot and one group a little bit and, 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 and people in between. And yet, 
when you open the scriptures and you listen to Jesus, maybe that's not how it works. So Jesus is in front of this group of people and there's some religious people. You know, they're righteous and they do, they do, they keep the rules. They go to church. They do everything they're supposed to do. And in the same group, there's some tax collectors and some sinners and sinners. Maybe they were prostitutes. I don't know what they were. They were just sinners. And Luke 15, 1. And so Jesus, he wants to, he wants to shoot a hole in this idea that God has more than one group. And so listen, uh, Luke 15, it says, now the tax collectors and quote unquote sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so there's, there's Pharisees and there's pagans. There's religious elite and the rebellious sinners. And Jesus looked out and he says, let me tell you a story. In fact, he said, I'm going to tell you three stories. And so he's, he's gathered around. He's got all these sinners and tax collectors and all these outcasts and, you know, uh, people that probably aren't like us. And he's hanging around with them. And the, the, the religious people are like, why is he in that group? That's, that's the wrong group. And that's kind of what they thought. And so Jesus tells them the story. He says, suppose the shepherd has a hundred sheep. And he's going along and he realizes, and he, he realizes one of the sheep's missing. And he says, Okay, I'll leave the 99 right here in the field. And I'm going to go and I'm going to find the one that is lost. And so he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one that is lost. Just, just one. And he searches until he finds it. And then he puts it on his shoulder and he comes home rejoicing. He says, I found my sheep. It was lost, but now it's found. And so if there's, a, if there's only one lost, Jesus says, I love that sinner. Enough to go after him. And then he tells another story. He says, suppose there was a woman and she had, she had ten coins. And she got to check in or got to count her money and said, oh, one's missing. Wouldn't she search her house and just go crazy until she found it? She would sweep and clean and move and search and look and seek. And when she finds it, she would call up her friends and say, you're not going to believe what happened. I found my lost coin. And so Jesus says, if you're one of ten, he loves the law so much. If you're just one of ten. Going to search until they find it. And then he tells another story. We know it as the parable of, if you're a church person, a churchgoer, you know it as the, maybe the, the story of the prodigal son or some, uh, Bible translations called the parable of the lost son or some people would say the parable of two sons. But he tells a story and it's kind of like if you're one out of two, you know, if you're the lost one of two, that God loves you. In fact, well, actually both of them are, are probably lost. But Jesus tells that whole story. Because he wants to say to the people, God loves sinners. God loves all sinners. God loves good sinners and bad sinners. God loves religious sinners and God loves rebellious sinners. God loves everybody unconditionally. And he's got, God has this great desire for you and for me. To experience his love. That's why his love should amaze us. Because the God, this perfect God of the universe, loves you and me. And Jesus unpacked that with a story. And he tells a story. And, and so there was, a, there was a father and he had two sons. And the younger son comes to the dad. And, and I don't really know what happened. 
just really doesn't tell us what happened. But the young guy comes to dad and he just pretty much says, you know, dad, I'm tired of living in your house. Dad, I'm tired of going by your rules. Dad, I really don't like working for you. I don't like working at all. So dad, give me what's coming to me. Give me my inheritance because I'm going to leave. Now he, this, I can't imagine how this would happen, but this young son came and literally he demanded of his father. He says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. I I can imagine what might happen at our house if we had a conversation like that with our son. If they come and demand and says, give me my inheritance. Now, first of all, there might not be much inheritance. That's the first thing. But how can, how would a son come and demand? So, but the, the, the text says that he demanded. It was an imperative. He says, Dad, you got to give me what's coming to me. And so really what he was saying, if you study that culture, what he, you know, like most cultures, to want the inheritance is to want the father dead. And so what he was really saying is, Dad, I don't care about you. Dad, I don't care about our family. Dad, all I really want is what's in it for me. So just give me what's coming to me so I can go away. And so the father, graciously, lovingly, says, okay, if that's what you really want. If, you, if that's what you really want, then you can have that. Because, see, God loves us so much, he's willing to say, okay, if you can pick. Have you noticed how God will do that? God will, God will always let you decide. God is so loving and He's so gracious. He would say to anyone of us, you get to choose your decision. Whatever you want to be, you can choose. And, and just like the Father said to the Son, okay, you can choose that. See, we're always free to choose our decision. But here's the thing. You're never free to choose the consequences. Just mark that down. Young people, uh, middle-aged people, Old people like me, whatever. Understand, we can choose our decisions, but we cannot choose the consequences. And so God let him choose. And so the young guy chooses. He says, I want my inheritance. Now, because he was the younger son, that that means uh, if there's an older son, the firstborn always got a double portion. And so if there's two, then there's three portions. The older son gets two-thirds. And so the younger son, got he got one-third of the inheritance or one-third of the value of the estate or the property. Now, because it's an agrarian culture and it was an estate, there was probably some livestock, probably some stored grain, maybe some land, maybe some jewelry. And so it's not like he could just go down and write a check. And so it took a little while for him to liquidate the assets. And because he was probably in a hurry, almost like if you were trying to sell your home and you had to get your money out now, you'd probably short sell it. You wouldn't get as much for it, but you'd get your money quickly. So probably what happened is they had a short sale. And, and so the, the, the story says, you know, after a little bit of time, he took his money and he's left. And he went to a far country. I don't know. We don't know if he went to Vegas or went to Mexico or to, you know, maybe he went to the Bahamas. Or since it was a story in Israel, maybe he just went over to the island of Cyprus. Maybe that's where you went to hang out. But wherever it is, he went to a a far country. And when he went to this far country, he began to to live wildly and to spend. Now, we don't really know what he... We assume that that he gambled and he partied and he 
and he chased uh, prostitutes and, and whored around and all these things. In fact, the older brother says, well, he, he squandered your, your money with prostitutes. That's what the older brother later said about the story. But we really don't know. We don't know how he wasted the money. In fact, the word prodigal really doesn't totally mean that, you know, he wasted on riotous living. To be a prodigal means that you, you're a rec- you reckless, recklessly Spend it. And so all it really means, as a pro, all a prodigal is, is someone that just spends everything he has. And so he went, he was in a far country and he spent everything he had. Now here's kind of the problem. When he said, dad, give me the inheritance, he was really saying, dad, I just soon you be dead. So he's alienated from the family. Well, when he was alienated from the family and he, he became cursed as a, as a Jewish young man in that culture. And so not only was he alienated by his family, he became an outcast of his community. And so when he left, he kind of burned the bridges. He took his share of the money, said, say la vie to the family and to everything else. And he hit the road and he goes and he spins and he spins and he spins and he spins. And then one day he run out of funds. And when you run out of funds in a far country, you run out of friends. He ran out of food and he was in trouble. And, I mean, he was in deep trouble. And he didn't know what to do. So he went and he sold himself to a citizen of that country. In other words, he he became a bond slave. He sold himself into slavery. He says, I'll do whatever. Whatever you need me to do. And so the citizen of that country said, okay, good. You can go slop the pigs. You can go feed the hogs. Now, let me give you some perspective for us. Anybody watch Dirtiest Jobs? You ever, anybody? Yeah, okay. For a Jewish boy, slopping the hogs, dirtiest job. They couldn't touch a pig. They're unclean. They're defiled. I mean, it was, it's the most disgusting picture. And, and to make, to, to paint the picture, she says, and besides that, he, he, he fell so far, he wanted to eat the pig food, and they wouldn't let him have any. And so what, what Jesus was saying here is he, he was so far down, he had to look up to see the bottom. I mean, that's where he was. Okay, so he's desperate. He's destitute. He's absolutely desperate. Have you ever been there? Have any of you, have you ever been in a situation? Have you ever had some circumstance in your life? You know, maybe it wasn't like this, but you just, you got to play where you said, you know, I, 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 I don't know what to do. I don't know who, I can't help myself. I don't really, I don't know who can help me. I mean, you just, you just find yourself and you say, man, I just got this great need and I really don't know where to turn. Has that ever happened to you? Well, it, it happened to me a couple months ago. It's kind of an interesting story. Labor Day, we went to, uh, to Slitterbond. Anybody been to Slitterbond? So we go to Slitterbond. My, my wife and daughters have season pass and they would go down there, you know, occasionally. And, but I, but I, that day I went with them. And so, you know, I didn't have a season pass. So I had to go buy my wristband or whatever. And 
So we packed our lunch and we had our bag and, you know, and I had my wallet and my phone and my keys and, you know, and I go pay for this. And we thought, you know, I kind of hate to carry that stuff around because, you know, somebody may get your phone, you know, you leave it here and you go over there. So I go back to the car and I put my money in my car and my wallet in my car and my phone in my car and I put my keys in my pocket. It's a Velcro pocket. And so off we go to Slitterbahn and I meet up with Bailey and we go down the high ride slide and then we get on the lazy river and we get on this and that. And, and I remember one time looking down, I think, got my keys. And then uh, we get to lunch. It's about 1.30, and we're having lunch, and we're just kind of talking, and we're passing out the food. And I didn't have my keys. And Lisa says, well, you know, check the bag. I'm thinking, I didn't put them in the bag. They ain't in the bag. So I checked the bag. They weren't in the bag. Did I tell you it was Labor Day? It's Labor Day, and I don't have any keys, and I don't have any money. And I don't have a wallet and I don't have a phone because I thought, you know, I'll just call. I knew Dan had been in Houston. I said, well, Dan's going to be driving back. I'll just call him. He can come back and get me. But I didn't have a phone. So I couldn't call Dan. And then I, then I thought, well, if I call Dan and he comes back and gets me and brings me up here to Wimberley or Dripping Springs, what am I going to do? I don't have any keys. How am I going to get my house? So how am I gonna, and so, so, so I'm just, I mean, for, for just a few minutes, I'm just, I'm desperate. I'm thinking, what, you know, there's, well, how do I get out of this? I'll go to Lost and Found. So I head to Lost and Found. They said it's in the other park. So I'm praying. I'm on the bus. I'm just praying, Lord. Yeah, you're going to come through, baby. I get to Lost and Found, and guess what? God decided not to come through. So I said, well, you know, they said, well, you know, we got a car here. You can call this guy. And uh, have you ever called a locksmith on Labor Day? That You should do that sometime. Uh, so anyway, I, I, uh, but I was desperate. And so finally, you know, but I had got this point. I didn't know what to do. Now I can't tell you the end of the story because I didn't tell the other service in the, the story. You have to wait till next week. But anyway, uh, I, we got home, but we were desperate and we just were to put it. And I didn't know where to turn. And some of you have been there and that's where this son was. He didn't know where to turn. He didn't know what to do. He was desperate. He had become a slave. He was feeding. He was slopping hog. And he realized, he said, you know, my dad has slaves. And they got plenty to eat. And here I am feeding pigs. And they won't even give me pig food. I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll, I'll go back to my dad. And I'll say to dad. And he begins to write this speech. Maybe you can think back to a time in your life with your family. Maybe even a time in your relationship with your spouse. Where you decided that you knew all the answers. And you decided you knew what was best. And so you picked up your stuff. And you picked up your things. And you went away. And it was good. And it was fun. And, and, and But then one day you realize. Man I messed up. I messed up big time. And you think, you know, if I could just get back to where I was. And you start writing out a speech of what you would say to your dad. Or you started out writing out a speech of what you would say to your spouse. Or you started writing out what you would say to your kids. And you just thought, you know, if I just, if I just humble myself, then maybe, just maybe, 
they'll take me back. And so he writes his speech. And he says, if I go and I say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and against earth. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like a hired servant. Just make me a slave. He said, at least I'll have clothes on my back. At least I'll have food in my belly if I just do that. And so he picks up and he heads back. Now keep in mind, he's alienated his family. You know, he's an outcast in the community. I mean, literally in that culture, because he said, I'd rather my parents be dead, I say goodbye to my family, based on the Old Testament law, he, he was le- legitimately under a curse. And the normal, the, the right thing that could have been done to him was to take him out and stone him. So he's, a, he's alienated his family. He's an outcast to the community. And besides that, spiritually, he's defiled. He's been slopping hogs with pigs. And so spiritually, he, he's defiled and, and separated from God. And so he's got all this going for him. And so he heads home. And all he's got is, he's got all that. And he says, you know, I'll just say to dad. You know, and so when, he, so when he heads out uh, and he heads back, let's pick up with that. If you have your Bibles there, let's pick up in verse 20. And we'll just read exactly what happened there. Beginning, uh, excuse me, in verse 20. It says, So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Let me just stop here for a minute. Did you see the love that the father has in this picture? This son's alienated. This son's defiled. This son is an outcast. And yet the father, while he was a long way off. So what that means is, is even though he, he, he wanted to be dead to his family and his family to be dead to him, even though he went away with no intention of coming back, every day the father was looking. He was watching. He was waiting. He was wanting. He was hoping one day my son would come home. And so the scripture says, while he was a long way off, the father saw him. And some of you, when you came to know Jesus Christ, God saw you from a long way off. And he was watching you. And some of you here this morning, you might even be still a long way off. But the father sees you. And he loves you. But notice what happened. He, he saw him. And, and then l- listen to that next phrase. He was filled with compassion for him. He's filled with compassion. They don't really know why that is. Maybe, maybe it was because in coming home, that was a great risk. Because if, if he was under a curse, you know, maybe he was coming home to a funeral. Maybe those in the community were going to say, listen, this, this guy's disowned his family. He's dishonored his family. The, the word says this is what we do. We take him out and stone him. And so the father has compassion on him. And the scripture says that he runs to him. So imagine with me. He's probably, his son's grown up. He's probably a grandfatherly type. Just let your imagination run for a minute. They didn't wear jeans and that day. They didn't have gym shorts. They wore robes, right? And so here's this old guy wealthy, dignified landowner, sees his son a long way up. He girds up. In other words, he grabs up this robe 
And he shows his, I'm sure, white scaly legs. And he begins to run to the sun. And he's running. And they're in the community there. And he saw him ahead of time. And he's going to save him. And he's running. And so he sets aside his dignity. And he begins to run. And when he gets there, it says that he, he embraces him. Literally, he falls on his neck. And he just embraces him. And maybe the, maybe the reason he embraces him like that was because if they come to stone him, he would take the blows instead of the son. And so he's humbled himself. He's lost his dignity so he could save his son. Does that sound familiar? Do you know the Bible says in Philippians that Jesus humbled himself? He took on the nature of man and he became obedient even to the point of death, even the death on a cross. And and Paul wrote in Galatians, he quoted the Old Testament where it says that Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And so when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he became a curse for you and me to take our place. Like this father who ran and fell on his son and covered him up to take his place if they were coming to kill him. And so he, he demonstrates this love. You see, what you need to understand, what I need to understand, God is love, and because he is love, he is waiting for you to come home. This father was waiting, waiting, watching, wanting his son to come home. And he does. But notice, let's read on. Says the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So here he is. He comes with this repentant heart and says, God, I, you know, I realize I'm wrong. I've, I've blown it. I've messed up. I've done, you know, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And the father interrupts him and says to his servants, quick, quick, bring a robe, the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet or sandals on his feet. And kill the fatted calf. And let's celebrate. Because my son was dead. And now he's alive. Just real quickly. There's some symbolism there that's just amazing to what it means. To put the best robe on him would be like saying that he restored him to righteousness. We talked about how he'd been slopping hogs and he had filthy rags and he was unclean and he was spiritually defiled. Well, well, the picture there would be they would go get the best robe they had and they would cleanse him and they would wash him and then they would cover him with this family, this father's robe. So that's a picture of being restored to righteousness. And then they put a ring on his finger. And what would happen is if you were the, if you were the wealthy son, you, you had a signet ring. And with that signet ring came the authority of the family. And you could seal documents and you could spend money because you had a relationship and you had authority in your family. And so when they put the ring on his finger... He, rest- he reconciled the relationship uh, between him and his family. 
And then it says that he put sandals on his feet. And everybody that talks about this passage talks about how in that culture, slaves didn't wear shoes. Servants didn't get sandals. If you got sandals, it meant you were a son. You belonged to the family. And so he, he returned to sonship. And so this picture that Jesus is painting is this father loved so much. He was waiting for his son to come home so he could be restored, reconciled, and returned to sonship. And, and then they killed the fatted calf. Then they killed the cow. And you know what that means? They had a celebration. You know what often a celebration and a feast meant in Scripture? You know what it was often a picture of? It's a picture of heaven. It's a picture of heaven. How many of Jesus' parables talk about the banquet? It's going to be a banquet. Go and invite them to come to my banquet. When you go, you know, and it goes on and on. In fact, uh, in Revelation 19 tells us that there's going to be a banquet, a marriage supper. There's going to be a supper between the, the bridegroom, Christ, and the church, which is his bride. And so there's this picture. This feast is a picture. See, it could have been a funeral, but it turned into a feast, and it was a picture. Here's what it's a picture of. Because he had been restored, because he had been reconciled, because he had been returned to sonship, it was a picture that the son was now Ready for heaven. He was ready for heaven because he had been reconciled. He was ready for heaven because he now had the righteousness of the Father. And so here's my question for you this morning. Have you been reconciled to God through Christ? Have you been restored? Have you had your righteousness restored through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you been returned to sonship? Because the Bible says God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you and me. And he died for you and me so we could be ready for heaven. Are you, are you ready for heaven? Based on a relationship with Jesus. Yes or no? God is loving. And he's waiting for you to come home. He's watching for you to come home. He wants you to come home. The question is, are you willing to come home? Would you bow with me together? When we look at what the Bible says about the love of God, there is so much there. You can't begin to unpack it in a a message. But what I hope you see is that we have a Father that loves sinners. Good sinners, bad sinners, mediocre sinners. American sinners, Russian sinners, every kind of sinner. You know, Republican sinners, I mean, all Democrat sinners, Baptist sinners, Methodist sinners. God loves all of us. He loves all of us unconditionally. And He wants all of us to come home. And my hope for you 
is that today, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you're not ready for heaven, my prayer is that today you'd open your heart to Jesus and you'd surrender your life to Christ. You would run home to God through His Son. Like Brooke and Tori, who we celebrated with a few minutes ago, did. They came to Jesus. And they're ready for heaven. Have you come to Jesus? If not, would you surrender to Him today so you can be ready for heaven? Father, I pray that in these moments that you would have your way in every person's life and in every person's heart. And Father, we'll give you the honor and the glory for all that you do. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here, here's what I want to do this morning. I, I, I'm going to ask Dan, Dan, go ahead and play for just a minute. I, I'm going to come down front. And, and, and I know this is this maybe a little awkward if you're new or if you don't often come to church. Sometimes we'll do a... We'll give people an opportunity to, to make a public decision for Christ. But it might be that you're here this morning and you've never, you've never crossed over the line from, from unbelief to belief. And I'd love to, to take a few minutes and take God's word and show you how you can give your life to Christ and be ready for heaven. Or maybe as a believer, you just need to come down and say, you know, God, I, I'm a believer, but, but I've been out there. I need to come home. And so I want to give you just a moment to do that. So uh, if God's leading you to make a public decision, I invite you to come. I'd love to pray with you. So why don't we stand together. If you feel uh, God leading you to make a public decision, uh, we want to give you a moment to do that. So I invite you to come. Dan's going to play. You come.